Well, good to be back with all of you. Uh, so happy to be here. And uh, as Kristen mentioned, I've been off for the last few weeks, uh, a much-needed break, got some time to get away and study and read and uh, be with my family and get some golf in. And uh, it's, been, it's been a great, but it is awesome to come back. Uh, my wife was telling somebody I don't necessarily idle well uh, for very long periods of time. So I'm back and I'm ready and I'm rejuvenated. I promise uh, my message isn't going to be that long. But speaking of rejuvenation, um, you may note the last couple, two, three years have been very challenging for all of us, but especially in the church. And so uh, one of the things that we're trying to do for our staff is give them a little bit of a breather. And so uh, Joe, Pastor Joe, is actually on a break for this uh, month. He's taken some time to just catch his breath, refresh. Same thing I kind of did. So if you don't see him around, uh, that's why. He's just getting some time away, and he'll come back refreshed, I'm sure, in September. And you may see some of our staff members in and out this month, uh, and it's all for the their health. Uh, it takes a lot to be able to... Uh, do what we do, and so um, if you see them, encourage them, but also just know that they're taking some time to rest as well. well as we kick back into the book of Acts, uh, I read the passage for today, and I was immediately reminded of a moment that occurred early on in my career as a pastor. Um, I, I found myself caught in the crossfire of some accusations about me very, very early on, just a couple years into being a pastor at the time. And one of the members of the teams that I was leading um, began saying a bunch of stuff uh, about me that just wasn't true. And to make things worse, he started making it personal, where he started bringing my wife into the conversation and some of the people around me. And the hard, hardest part about all of it was that I had spent months befriending this person. I had taken him under my wing, so to speak, and an effort to disciple and care for him. And he and his families had hit hard times. Uh, so I was trying to take it upon myself to be a source of help in their situation. He and I spent countless hours over coffee and over lunch talking about faith and life and his circumstances. I even invited him to be a short-term intern with me on the staff so that he could get a little bit of an experience of what it was like to be a staff member at a church, because he had this dream of being in full-time ministry one day in his future. But then, as if out of nowhere, he just turned on me. Maybe you've had something like this happen in your life before. He started spewing gossip and these lies about things that I said and things that I did. He started telling other people all of these personal details of my life that they had no right knowing about. He went to my senior pastor, he went to my leadership uh, without my knowledge, and he complained about me, he wrote this long letter about how I wasn't fit to lead. My wife can even contest that as all of this was going on, like, and all this information started coming back to me, it just sort of sunk me. It, it wrecked me. You know, I was new to ministry. You know, I kind of went into ministry thinking, look, I want to help people. I want to serve people. I want to be able to walk with people through their hardest times. And only a few years in, I, I was sunk by this person who I thought I was befriending and caring for and discipling. I just couldn't understand why someone would do this to me. Well, eventually, he and I sat down uh, with my senior pastor in an effort to resolve our issues. And as I went into that meeting, 
I remember praying diligently about what was about to happen. And for some reason, I had this overwhelming sense of confidence in just who I was. And, you know, in hindsight, I knew, I, I know now that was the Spirit of God speaking to me. And I knew what was true and what wasn't. I just knew what was true about myself, about the situation, and what wasn't. And if he wanted to speak lies about me, then there was nothing I could do. All I really could do was just simply be confident in the fact that this is who I am. This is who God created me to be. And I, I'm going to trust God in this moment that he makes that evident. Well, as we re-enter the story of the book of Acts, we're going to see a member of the very early church in the first century who also happens to be a newly appointed leader in the church experience to an even greater degree a very similar circumstance to me. So if you have your phone, you can open up to version. By the way, um, for the time being, we're not hosting things under events, so just go to the passage if you want to follow along. We're going to be in Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 8. If you have your Bibles, you can go there as well. And so just uh, as we go back to the book of Acts, we've been away from it for the, you know, a few weeks. Um, you know, I want to be able to just give us a little bit of a recap of where we've been up you know, to this point, at least recently. So following Jesus' resurrection and ascension, in the very first chapter of Acts, the church is beginning to take shape in Jerusalem. Things are starting to happen. People are being saved. The community that was just a few hundred people is now in the thousands. And as a result, the church is drawing attention to itself. There's, there's murmurs about this new way of Judaism, which is how they would have referred to it in the first century. There was no word for what was going on. They had Christianity, that word didn't come for a couple, two, three hundred years after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. For most people in first century Jerusalem, they were looking at these Jews who were claiming Jesus to be the Messiah and are starting this new way of following Jewish religion. And it just happens to include this person Jesus. And so there's all of this murmuring about this new way that's going on, and it is slowly becoming a threat to the traditional views among those in first century Jerusalem and beyond. Now, furthermore, the church internally is learning how to deal with things like conflict and issues within its own walls. At the beginning of chapter 6, we learn for the very first time, that there's this internal conflict within the church, and one that is resolved by the apostles quickly by appointing seven men to help with the administrative duties of the church. Like the church has grown to the point where serving people and helping people and discipling people is taking on a life of its own. And so they decide, look, we can't do all of this. We need to be out preaching God's word and, and, and leading, you know, recruiting leaders. We need people to just help with the daily administration of the church. So they raise up these seven men to do that. And one of those men is a man named Stephen. Now Stephen, in the list of the men, is the only one that's sort of given this personal detail about who he is, more, more so, not just who he is, but sort of what he is made of. Chapter 6, verse 5, describes him as a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And that's important. We're going to come back 
to the importance of that. It, it seems sort of like this harmless description, but as we're about to see, that description of Stephen is critical based on what happens next. So let's read Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 15, and then we're going to talk about what I believe God wants to teach us from it. Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 8. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke, so they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, we heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders and the teachers of religious law, so they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became bright as an angel's. Okay, so we don't know, listen, we don't know how long Stephen has been on the job in his new administrative role within the church at this point. But based on this text's proximity to when he is appointed, we can say pretty assuredly that it hasn't been very long. It might have only been a couple of days. We, we don't really know, but it's not been that long. And within days, maybe weeks, he has already become a target of the Jews in Jerusalem. Now, verse 9 tells us that it all started when he got caught in this debate with this group of men from the synagogue of freed slaves. Now, this is sort of an odd description of a group of people, but most scholars believe that this was a local Jewish community in Jerusalem, most of whom were from the area of northern Africa, and they were composed of Jewish men who were once slaves within the Roman Empire. Now, it was, it was common within even Jerusalem to have local communities of Jewish beliefs, synagogues, local establishments where people would come together and they would learn together and they would debate and they would worship together. The temple was there, but there were also these local communities, much like we have today. And this local community was composed of these men who were once slaves, who are now free and living in Jerusalem, working as they might be. And so Stephen happens to be in the area, I guess, and gets into this debate with these men, and he gets under their skin uh, so badly that they begin to spread lies about him. Actually, what they do is they tell other people to spread lies about him. What cowards, right? And there are two things they say Stephen speaks against that are grounds for being arrested. Now, in first century Jerusalem, this is important, okay? Remember, Christianity did not come out of a vacuum, right? This happened in history. It came out of this Jewish long history of Judaism. And it's important to understand a lot of the conflict that was happening early in the church had to do with their history of being Jews. And there were four key symbols that were not to be challenged within first century Judaism. The temple, the Torah, which is the law, the Old Testament, first five books of the law, the Holy Land, which was Jerusalem, and Jewish identity. 
my identity as a Jewish member of this community. To go against any of these was an act of treason against God and the people of God. If you think back a little bit, it was this that ended up getting Jesus arrested and then crucified. Right? It, it wasn't that Jesus was this revolutionary from a whole other planet. It's that he was revolutionary within the constructs of traditional Judaism. He was changing the narrative of Judaism. He wasn't saying Judaism was bad. He was just saying, look, it's fulfilled. It's happening in me. And Stephen, being a follower of Jesus, is defending the same thing, right? So after debating with Stephen, the freed slaves men are feeling defeated. They're feeling irritated, right? It says that Stephen's wisdom was so great, they couldn't stand against it. Like, he was so smart. He was able to, like, defend everything that he was saying so easily. So instead of trying to go about it themselves, they hire some people to accuse Stephen of offending these two key symbols in Judaism, and they name them the temple and the Torah, the law. He speaks against the temple. But really what he was saying was, Look, the temple's great, but the true temple is Jesus. It's fulfilled. The purpose of the temple is now fulfilled in Jesus. If you want to experience God in his fullness, go to the temple. But it's no longer in this building, per se. It's in this person of Jesus. And the law, where essentially the, the apostles were teaching, yes, the law is great, but really all it's doing is it's pointing us to Jesus and so we're going to follow Jesus. And you can see how this is starting to get under the skin of these men he's debating with. And so they hire these people to go and to lie about Stephen, which lands him in hot water. I mean, again, Stephen's not saying or doing anything that the apostles haven't already said or done. It's just bothering people. It's causing problems. And so he's arrested. He's brought before the high council. And during the next few weeks, we are going to look at Stephen's defense to these accusations in one of the longest chapters in, the, in Acts. But for now, I just want to look at who Stephen was and what is actually at play for him here. Now, I think we can all argue that Stephen has done nothing wrong. Debating with other Jews in the first century was commonplace. It happened all the time. People would bring up scripture and they would talk about their different interpretations and there would be debate and there'd be conversation and everybody would leave going, oh, maybe I learned something or I don't agree with you. That wasn't commonplace. Furthermore, at no point is Stephen rude or offensive to the men he's debating with. Luke doesn't record that then Stephen started yelling at them and calling them names. No, he's just having a conversation about what's going on. And this is important to note because Stephen isn't looking for a fight. He's not out in the community going, all right, who's next? Who needs to hear about Jesus right now? How can I uh, totally reverse everything you've thought and offend you to the point where you want to throw me in jail? Like, that's not Stephen's attitude here, right? Stephen is just having these conversations because it's true to who he is. He isn't out on the mean streets of Jerusalem causing problems, right? Yelling at people that he's right and they're wrong. That's not how this is going down. And yet, 
he still ends up in the crossfire of lies and accusations. So what's happening here? Why has Stephen become the punching bag of these men? Well, here's what I want you to know. Because it's really important to understand that sometimes being a follower of Jesus in and of itself is offensive. Just by being a follower of Jesus will offend some people. They won't like it. And that's okay. And Stephen's about to find out that that's really, really true. The the nature of following Jesus is that it subverts everything we've been taught in this world of ours. And Luke, the author of Acts, makes it plain that who Stephen is, just who he is, as now a follower of Jesus, is enough to ruffle the feathers of others. And there's actually three things that Luke names about Stephen that I think really get under the skin of the first century Jews that he's debating with. And the first thing that gets under their skin is his character. In Acts chapter 6, verse 5, Luke describes Stephen as a man full of faith and Holy Spirit. We talked about that earlier. And then three verses later, Luke describes him as a man full of God's grace and power. I mean, these are descriptions of Stephen's character, who he is, to be filled with faith and grace and power and the Holy Spirit is to be a person in the kingdom of God of tremendous character. And it's the kind of character that followers of Jesus, as they grow in their understanding of who Jesus is, begin to possess. But these character traits are offensive at times. Not only can they butt up against the other values of our world, but they can also be fuel for jealousy in other people's lives. Have you ever had that experience where you notice like, hey man, like I'm at peace with what's going on in this world and my life situation. I'm just at peace as I follow Jesus. And then you realize other people just can't stand it. They just kind of like, what's your problem, man? Why are you so happy all the time, right? What's the deal? What's all of this joy stuff? Or how about when you decide to extend grace to someone who clearly doesn't deserve it and everyone around you is confused because they were expecting you to exhibit punishment? Like, listen to me. Not everyone is going to like who you become when you follow Jesus. They're just not. And it's not because it isn't best for you and for the world, but it's because it flies in the face of normalcy. It's subverted, it's countercultural, which leads to a second thing that irks the freed slaves men that Stephen's debating with and the high council. The second thing that irks them about Stephen's life is his lifestyle. The second thing Luke mentions about Stephen in verse 8 is that he performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. In other words, because he was following Jesus, Stephen's lifestyle looked a whole lot different than most. Instead of spending his time pursuing the things of this world or all of the rules and regulations of Judaism, Stephen was spending his time serving and giving others the things of God. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus tells us to pray these words. May your kingdom come on earth as it is 
in heaven. And, and those are beautiful words that Jesus tells us to pray. And if you've ever prayed the Lord's Prayer, you know those words. But let me just tell you right now, that is a dangerous prayer. That is a dangerous prayer. It means that we want the things of God and the things of heaven, the things of his kingdom to become a reality here on earth. It means we want to be people who surrender our lives to seeing God's purposes become real right before our very eyes. It's a lifestyle of generosity and service and forgiveness and grace. And it's a lifestyle that will constantly come up against opposition in our world. This Thanksgiving is coming up. I'm excited. I am. I love Thanksgiving. This Thanksgiving, tell your family who you've been having Thanksgiving dinner with every year for decades that you won't be there because you're going to serve the homeless. Just tell them and see what they say. Watch the reaction. And, if you can, listen for their comments behind your back. Now, I know it seems like a bit of a trivial example, but it just goes to show what can happen when we decide, I am pursuing, I am all in, in following Jesus. I mean, we become the beneficiaries of his vision and his purpose in our lives, but let's not be fooled. It is going to come with some opposition. It should come with some opposition. If it doesn't, maybe we need to take some time to reflect on what we're really following. I remember when we started to tell people back in 2010 that we were going to uh, move from Minnesota, leave everything that we had there, my family, my friends, our careers, everything, and we were going to move to Las Vegas and plant a church with no people a part of it. You would have thought my wife and I were from some distant planet. And these are good people. These are not bad people. These are good people. But I'm telling you, when you start to follow Jesus and you start to live a lifestyle of surrender and generosity and forgiveness and grace, it is going to butt up against the values of this world. And some people are just not going to like it. And I'm telling you, it's okay. But don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Finally, Luke mentions there's one last thing about Stephen that is likely the thing that irked the freed slaves men and the high council more than anything else, and that was Stephen's wisdom. You know what people really don't like? Most people could deal with character and lifestyle, but man, when you start to say stuff that's true, <laughs> people don't like it. They don't like to be told they might be wrong. They, they don't like to be told that there might be a better way. Now, we don't know exactly what Stephen said to them, but based on what they accuse him of, we can surmise some ideas. You see, for, Jesus, for Stephen, Jesus was the fulfillment of everything God had said and done in the Scriptures. The four symbols of Judaism, the temple, the Torah, Jerusalem, identity, they all came into their fullness in Jesus himself. And it wasn't like they made it up. The scripture said this would happen. This wisdom, though, was the, 
the, the result of intense study and divine intervention on the behalf of Stephen, something no one had seen before. It's, it's the same wisdom that continuously lands the apostles, especially Paul, in hot water. But again, people don't always like the wisdom of God. Can we just be real? I don't always like the wisdom of God. I don't like to be told that I'm wrong in how I'm living my life or, or that there may be some things that God wants to correct in my life. Like it's, it's challenging and it's hard to deal with at times and it forces people to question what they believe and puts them in a position where they may have to admit they were wrong. And that can bother people. And so like Stephen, if we follow Jesus, we're called to be people who are filled with wisdom. And you know where that wisdom comes from? I mean, ultimately, it comes from God's Word, His Scriptures, which He's given us, that tell the story of a God who came to our rescue in the person of Jesus, fulfilling all of His covenant and His promises in the Old Testament and the New. And when we dive into Scripture, not because we have to, but because we get to learn the wisdom of God, we begin to be filled with the wisdom to be able to live our lives as he has called us to. It begins right here on a Sunday morning, coming and being a part of this and hearing God's story and God's word, being challenged to be the people God is calling us to, allowing his spirit to change our lives so that we could go and change the lives of others. Listen, we are called to the same as Stephen, people with character, and a lifestyle and wisdom that matches up with who Jesus was and what Jesus did. And so, should we do this? Listen, should we do this? Let's not be surprised. Because being a follower of Jesus is in and of itself offensive. It's offensive. Now that said, I want to be careful. Because I don't want everybody walking out of here thinking, all right, let's just be a bunch of jerks outside and just tick people off. It's not what we're talking about. Again, notice Stephen, he's not looking for a fight here. He's just telling people what he knows. And that is enough to cause offense in other people's lives. We're to be people, yes, who are faithful followers of Jesus, but in its doing so, we're also to be winsome I mean, notice he doesn't put up a fight or go on bragging about the attention he's getting. He's simply being faithful to his calling in an effort to see more people come to know Jesus. And it's noticed by those around him. Notice how Luke ends this passage. In verse 15, it says, Luke says that as Stephen stands before the high council, his face became as bright as an angel's. I mean, mine is like, I think, almost always that way. I know you noticed that. So if you need an example, I'm just kidding. Not at all. We don't know. I don't know what that means exactly. Okay? I don't. It's the only place that it's mentioned really in the Bible. But the implication is that Stephen, even in the midst of all of this opposition and these people standing before him accusing him of these lies, was filled with God's spirit that it could not be ignored even by the high council. There was this magnetism to who Stephen was that the high council couldn't even deny. 
the winsome attraction in the face of opposition, that is something we must pray as for as we seek the same character and lifestyle and wisdom that Stephen had. I like how commentator Ahit Fernando says and talks about this. He says, while we may not be called to be specialist radicals, it's a term he uses for Stephen and others, the gospel is by nature so radical that all serious Christians will sooner or later find themselves challenging people in the way they think and act. Stephen shows us that when we face opposition in such situations, we should remain winsome. Look, it's going to happen sooner or later. Opposition. Look, we should not well looking for it, but when it comes, we should be like, oh, yeah. This is what happens. And if it doesn't come, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that should be our prayer. What am I really following right now? Now, you might be you know, wondering uh, what happened between me and the church member in my story early on. Well, um, the pastor called us in. We cleared the chairs. And we had a fist fight, and I won. And... <laughs> That was it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I would have won that, but that's not what happened. But I do remember sitting in that office with this overwhelming sense of peace. It hadn't always been that way. But in that moment, I, I was confident in, in who I was and what I had done. And even though it brought conflict, I didn't want, and I was accused of things I never said or did, I had come to the point where I completely trusted God to make things plain. I, I was confident. It took me a long way to get there in my character, in my lifestyle, my wisdom. And even though all of that was still in development and still is, I, there was a sense of peace about that. And in the end, as we met together, he apologized for everything he'd done. He said, we resolved the issue. We walked away better off for it. And I will tell you this. I didn't pursue a relationship with him. By the way, let's just talk about boundaries for a second. Just because we face opposition and we have to resolve issues at times doesn't mean we have to like, continue to be codependent with that person. Okay? We can love them and still keep an arm's distance and not share a phone number with them. It's okay, all right? But, it, but I know this, that that moment was defining for me. It prepared me for so many other moments in my life where I came up against opposition. I'm telling you right now, you might not know this, but pastors face a lot of opposition. They just do. They do. And you do too in your world. If you follow Jesus, you know what, you're ta- what, what I'm talking about. There is nothing safe or sterile about following Jesus. It is gritty it is dirty, it is life-changing, it is in-your-face sort of confronting the idols and the false values of our life. There is nothing safe about that, but there is a beauty in seeing a person's life go from death in their sin to life in the resurrected Jesus. And I'm telling you right now, you know what the world doesn't need is a bunch of people who claim to be followers of Jesus but aren't actually 
filled with the Spirit to the point where their character and their lifestyle and their wisdom looks like Jesus. The world needs a group of people, us, small though we may be, to say, we are following you, Jesus. And we know it means that we're going to come up against opposition. But when that happens, we are going to stay true to who we are and love people well and be filled with grace and be generous and serve other people for the good of this world because the life that we've experienced through your spirit, we want other people to experience that too. Are you with me on that? Look, I love Stephen in this story because it's not until he's brought to the high council that he says anything. You notice that? Luke, he hasn't said anything up until this point. It's like he's just walking, we'll find out, to his own death with a sense of peace and promise and confidence, not in who he is, but in who the person of Jesus is. And come what may, what opposition I might face, I am not giving that up. I am not surrendering that. I will pursue the character of Jesus, the lifestyle he's called me to, the wisdom that he's given me at all costs. And Stephen will walk to his very own death, willingly holding on to that. It's my prayer for us. My prayer for us. That we would be people that would follow Jesus at all costs. This is not following Jesus, Jesus never gave us this option where it was like, well, you know, on some days we'll do it, and then on other days we'll just kind of like, you know, tiptoe around it. That was never and never has been what it means to follow Jesus. It is an all-in, all-surrendered, life-giving movement in our lives. When we do that, I'm telling you, stuff starts to change. Stuff starts to change. Stephen's story isn't over. And I'm telling you, even after Stephen's story, the legacy of Stephen will continue on. My hope for you is that as you follow Jesus, as you pursue Jesus, you would experience the same change in your life that Stephen experienced, that when you come up against opposition, you too would have the peace and the hope and the joy and the confidence in your Savior and your leader. Let's pray. God, this morning, we humbly come to you, offering ourselves to you, giving ourselves to you in the same way Stephen did. May it be said of us that we would be filled with faith and the Holy Spirit. May we be power, or excuse me, be people filled with God's power and grace in our lives. May we be people who follow you to the point that we would give of ourselves and our money and our time and our resources to see your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. May we be people who follow you in the words of your wisdom, trusting every word that you have given us in the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, and that as we come together on a Sunday morning or gather together in groups during the week or be together and whatever might be going on, God, that you would inspire a new sense of wisdom and inspiration in our lives that fuels us to do the things that you've called us to. 
Hey, God, when opposition comes, when people lie about us or accuse us of something or don't believe us or make fun of us or mock us, may we remain winsome, true to ourselves and who we are in you, our identity in you. God, that in those moments, even in those moments of opposition, that your kingdom would be at work in this world. Thank you most of all for Jesus who paved the way for us. We surrender to him. We give our lives to you, Jesus. We follow in your footsteps. We believe that you are the resurrected king who defeated sin and death and has brought about new life when we place our faith in you. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.